Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord, we thank you for this time of year where we're able to um, at least attempt to settle ourselves down and really to, to focus and ponder the, the wonder of you, Lord, and sending your, your son, Jesus, to be born. Um, Lord, I just pray that through this, this, this time period, uh, Lord, you've already been faithful to, to, to meet us, to touch us, to speak to us. Lord, I just pray that through this next time block and the remainder of the service, you would continue to do that. Lord, that you'd be faithful to not only plant the seed, the water the seed, that it would bear fruit within our lives for your glory. That's all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so we have prepared to meet the Savior. And, of course, Christmas theme and everything like that. And what says more about Christmas than Greek mythology? So I'm going to have a little bit of fun here, obviously. So, those of you who are familiar, just going to touch on Achilles, right? If you're not familiar, Achilles, he's this like mighty warrior, and there was this thing about that he would die young, and so his mom figured, well, we're going to just thwart this whole thing. So she takes Achilles to the River Styx and dips him in the River Styx. So now he has like, he's or immune and vulnerability, something like that, right? But she's got to hold him, so she's holding him by his heel. So he's completely invincible except for his heel. And so he's doing all this battling, and he's like this great, amazing warrior until poison arrow, heel, and he dies. Yeah. So point of that is, like, great, amazing hero, dies, right? Achilles' heel. We still have that, like, you know, that's where that comes from. If you weren't familiar with that, now you know. Very short version because, anyway, Superman, kryptonite. Superhero, superpower, kryptonite, right? So, in John ten ten, as the devil came to steal, Jesus, saying, "The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy," but I have come as you may have life and life evermore. So, there's both sides of it: Jesus offering life and life forevermore, but the reality of the enemy's attack, his plot is to steal, kill, and destroy. The main weapon of all of that, or the, the, the whatever, mechanism, the Achilles heel, sin, and sin nature. Which brings us back to need for a Savior. And again, with Christmas time, we tend to think of, next slide, we've got the little manger scene. Next slide. Oh, yeah, so yeah, so we have, you know, the wise men, we have the shepherd, go ahead, that's fine, shepherd, and we have Jesus. And Joseph and Mary. What? Oh, my goodness. I forgot. All right, so go. What? What? That's like really there's. Okay. Wow. It's full of surprises. God's hastening this sermon on fast. But anyway, so the point of what I, ha- I had some fun with this stuff. And I'm like kind of like, there isn't, there's not slides between that? Wow. Okay. All right. So anyway, my Photoshop fun was like, and, and these, I, I took, anyway, was like to cover, well, not cover, but anyway, mute that all out and be like, okay, because, you know, they're all color coordinated. They're all nice and pretty and everything like that. Okay. But Jesus's birth was anything but clean and sanitary and sanitized. And it wasn't like that at all. Not at all. If any of you have been around farm, farm animals, 
They're not color out there. Those ones, see too. And sanitized. I don't know who I, I typed that. It's a typo. Ah. Anyway, yeah. It's just no. It wasn't like that. Is there one after that too? Well, anyway. Oh, there we go. Yeah. From the very first moment of Jesus' birth, God demonstrated he was fully invested in our salvation. He didn't just say he was willing to get dirty. He proved it. So through this next couple minutes, I'm going to talk about the where, the how, and the why of this whole thing of us and a Savior and needing a Savior. Where? Of course, Bethlehem, right? Historically, Bethlehem appears 53 times in the Bible, through 11 books, over 1,300 years. There's some more interesting things. We're going to get to that. But anyway, uh, the first time it's mentioned in the Old Testament is the birth of a son. The last time it's mentioned in the New Testament is the birth of a son. Oh, getting interesting here. Uh, The New Testament one, Rachel is the mom. And now Rachel is married to Jacob. Jacob, Israel, name change thing there. And in the, well, throughout the Bible, names have a lot of significance, especially with what they mean. Okay, Rachel, her name is you or female sheep, okay? And she has the son, and actually, this is the second son that Rachel gives birth to. The first is Joseph, and Joseph's name means uh, God will add or, you know, God, something like about that, because she was barren, okay? So her having Joseph was a big deal. It was like, you know, God's favor. And so in faith, basically, she was saying, there's going to be another son, all right? Well, she gives birth to him, but she dies in childbirth, basically. And so she names the son in her, like, dying breath, Benoni, son of sorrow. Jacob names him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Now, in case I went over that too fast, meaning of the names, Rachel Lamb dies, giving birth to son in Bethlehem, son of sorrow, name change, right hand. Lamb of God dies. Benjamin is a type of the church. Lamb of God dies for giving birth to the church. Next slide. Now I think it should be the next slide with the Isaiah... He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one whom men hide their face, he was despised. We did not esteem him. That 50, Isaiah 53 section is talking about his crucifixion, but yet there's other references too with Jesus being a man of sorrows. Benoni, son of sorrow. And then later on, another reference with Jeremiah 31 a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for, for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah is prophesying, and he's talking about the, the exile, the nation of Israel and Judah. They just got way off course, really made a mess of things. Sin really had crept in with a lot of pagan worship, a lot of idolatry, all this kind of stuff. And so God's judgment was that they were taken away in captivity. And Jeremiah is prophesying about that. Well, anyway, um, 
Now in Matthew, you might recognize that verse because Matthew also cites it. Then when spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. The voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping, you know, we already read that. But Matthew brings it up in the context of Jesus' birth, but specifically with Herod. Because trust most of you are kind of familiar with that, that whole thing that transpires there because Herod gets wind that, well, this new king, king of kings, has been born, and he's angry and jealous and like, well, we're not going to have any of that. And so he sends the magi to supposedly, well, come back to me and let me know so that I can worship too. No, he's going to kill him. And the Magi get warned of God not to go back, so they go a different way. And then Herod eventually is like, wait a minute, what happened? And da 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 Okay, we're going to solve this, but we're going to kill all the male children. Edict, I've got the power, we're going to do it. All male children two years of age and under. God had already warned Joseph and Mary, so they left, they went to Egypt. But anyway, so this is what Matthew is referencing. So Matthew is bringing up Jeremiah who's bringing up Genesis. Speaking of Bethlehem. So it's just really interesting. And to me, all, all that goes back to the where. Now, in a more personal application, God is interested in being our Savior where we are at. He's not calling you to necessarily a special place. Where are you at? Think back to Adam and Eve and the original sin. When God came on the scene, God did not go up to them and say, what have you done? Where are you at? He was giving them the opportunity to invite God into their dilemma. He wasn't standing there to confront them and to condemn them. So a lot of times because... Again, we just are our sin nature and that, that pulling away from God, we would rather not respond. We'd rather pull back. We allow shame to pull us away. Got a little head on that one. But anyway, um, I, go, go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in contrast, because this is an important point, the contrast of the death and birth is a picture of salvation. You know, and a lot of times in our in our nice view of the manger, we're not thinking about all of Bethlehem's male children two years and under massacred, gone, because Jesus was born. We don't think about that. We think of the color-coordinated porcelain. Anyway, through his birth and sacrificial death, now those who are dead in sin have the opportunity to live victoriously in him. Until we see the birth of Christ against the backdrop of the massacre, we will never fully realize the necessity of his coming. How ugly is sin? Ask Herod. That's how ugly it's his sin nature. It was his insecurity. It was his anger. It was his, I've got to be on top. Is there another one after that? Or does it go to the torn wells? Okay. So, again, the, the, we, we tend to pull away. We tend to hide. Shame pulls us away. Now, on the how part, so I talked about the where. Bethlehem, he wants to meet us where we're at. Now, how, how is a really interesting thing because modern culture, modern society, we get, we get, we're so distanced from how you are really doing because we have social media. We have all this stuff. So 
Torrin Wells, I really, uh, you might be familiar with him from the song Known. It's a really great song, but he also has, he's writing stuff, and it's like really resonates with me and with what I feel, you know, God is desiring to bring us as Steel City to a deeper understanding of. Anyway, with culture, these days we tend to have followers but not friends, likes but not love, comments but not conversations, crowds but not companions, churches but not communities. Life group. Did I say that? Anyway. Our society has been popularized with a new kind of relational experience, one that gives a broad network of contacts but lessens the importance of having deep, meaningful connections with others because we let shame pull us away because we want to hide that whole sin thing. No, we, each and every one of us needs a savior. Is there a next slide after that? I believe I repeated that. I apologize. But there is further down the priority on I, me. No, go back to it, please. The priority on I, me, mine has eclipsed any sense of us, we, and ours. The result is that people feel more alone than ever before. It's been estimated that one in five Americans suffer from chronic loneliness, despite what Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, blah, would say. Now, next slide. When we feel alone, we can start to feel unknown. Pull us into isolation. Eve had a conversation with the servant. Noah got drunk. Moses murdered. David had an affair. Peter denied Jesus. All of these things happened when these people were alone in the context of loneliness. I'm alone. They don't really identify. Uh, there's a pattern. That's why God, is, God said it's not good for man to be alone. We were created for connection. We were created to be known. Life groups. Next. <laughs> The foundation of intimacy is vulnerability. If you can't be vulnerable, honest, and open, then you will never be able to escape the terrible prison of superficiality, which is the hallmark of all that social, which I'm involved with, so I'm not like, anyway. You will never be able to to be able to fully embrace what it is to be real. Next one, I th- I'm trying to get my, yes, there's two slides on, yes, times of hurt, loneliness, or failure, we tend to hide from Christ. This is what we need to understand. We need to hear this. Because of his sacrifice for our sins, we get to hide in Christ, not hide from Christ, not hide from each other, hide in Christ together, corporately. We can hide in Christ. Next part. Just like Paul said, Romans 8.1, there therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, another part, which I don't have on the slide, but um, another speaker was talking about, there was, uh, I, I'm not familiar with it, but there was a, a show that was around for a little bit where they would go into, uh, there was school, show and a school and a social movement to try to decrease the bullying thing. And so they would have these uh, things in auditoriums and they would go through presentation and the crux of it, the core of it was, if you really knew me, and they would you know, fill in the blank and they would invite students to stand up to really be able to try to embrace this whole thing of being transparent, being vulnerable and realizing you're not the only one. Of course, there has to take someone to stand up first. And so um, 
It was in the context of like public schools and stuff like that. And the guy that I was reading this stuff from said that then he had the opportunity to see it in a youth group trick at a big you know, youth group conference type thing. And he was kind of figuring like, well, how well is this really going to go over? Because this, you know, these are church kids. These aren't like, you know. So I'll read this part here. Um, so the speaker said things like, if you knew me, you'd know I struggle with addiction. Some students stepped forward. If you knew me, you'd know I had been sexually abused. More came forward because it was a response for an altar call. If you knew me, you know that I've contemplated suicide or that I've felt deep rejection. Before long, half the seats were empty and the altar was full. Because again, it, it, it's especially within the context of Christendom, within the context of the church, for whatever stupid reason, we allow the enemy to get in there and to try to have us feel isolated. Well, I'm the only one that really... No, you're not. This sin thing has got, unfortunately, a hold of us all in some manner or another. We all need help. We all are needing a Savior. So that's on the how. How are you really doing? God wants to come down and be a Savior for right where we're at. For where we're at, but also in the, like, we don't have to clean up. Come as you are, how you are. However you are, that's fine. God knows. God's love is there. You don't have to be all cleaned up. Now, with the why, because of his intense love. Is there another? Uh, we should be moving to Luke. Yes. I'm going to go kind of quickly because I want to focus more in on the end of this section. But Luke 15, we have the parables. There's the, the shepherd has 100 sheep. The 99 are there. He's doing an account. One's missing. Well, he leaves the 99 that are all accounted for to go find the one lost sheep. And then he, Jesus continues and tells a different story with a woman that had 10 coins. Not a whole lot in her possession. She just had a little small hovel of a home. Ten coins, but she counts and there's nine. Where's the other one? She turns her whole house upside down, inside out, to find the one coin. So the ratio starts out 99 to 1, not, or 99 to 1, now 9 to 1. And then Jesus tells the story of the two, the, f- the father who had two sons. The younger one basically goes in and says, Hey, Dad, you know, I appreciate what you've done for me, but I think I'm able to take care of my own, and so I know technically this whole inheritance thing is when you die, but how about I just get it now? Because I'm just, I've, I've got plans, I need to do things, and it's not going to happen here. So, can I take my money and run? And the culture of it was, because he had two sons, it was, and this is the younger son, which is coming up and saying, the culturally, like, uh, and I, I think I've probably hit that at times too, 50-50. But that's not right culturally because the oldest son gets the bigger inheritance. So it was more like younger one says, I want my third. Okay. And most of you are probably familiar with it. He just goes and he squanders it. He's like just like, you know, got friends all over the place. He just came into a bunch of money, but the money's gone. Now he's in the pig pen, and he's just like really made a mess of his life. So he goes back, and he's like, 
my dad is going to like really just have it in for me. Maybe he'll be agreeable to me being a servant. Maybe, you know, and again, you're probably familiar with the account. The father had been anticipating the return of his son, longing for the return of his son. He's been out on the, to go out to the porch, like, is he here? Sees him a long way off, and the father runs to him, which, again, culturally was completely inside out, upside down, and wrong, culturally. So anyway, he runs out, and he brings men, puts the best robe on him, puts a ring on him, and says, you know, stops in mid-sentence, because he's, this kid's got it all rehearsed of what I need to say to maybe, maybe get my way back to at least have better food than the junk that pigs are eating that I've been eating with them. So I said, no, no, none of that. You're my son. And that's a big party because the son that was lost is now returned. We're kind of familiar with that part of it. But then there is the next part. The older son. Now, what's the older son take on this whole thing? Probably familiar with it. The older son is like, whoa, time out. This punk kid, and now you're throwing this big party? Like, he made a mess of his life. Why celebrate him? I've been here this whole time. I've been working like a dog, slaving, having to do his part too, because like he just took off. You let him take off, and now you're gonna do all this. And when have I been like when have you given me stuff to have a party with my friends? And I've been here all this time. I'm not going to join any part of that party. Who are you kidding? No, 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 no. So if this were a play, and you saw this whole thing play out, basically there are three responses that would resonate. One of three things for what you think about the older brother. You could cheer. Like, because, like, really, this guy, I, I know what he's talking about. The older brother, he's right. That's not fair. What's going on with that? No, no, that's just, that's just not fair. We agree with him. It's not fair. But then, yeah, if we agree with him, our hearts are revealed. We're just like him. We don't understand our own sin, and we don't understand grace. Grace doesn't operate on the system of fair. None of us deserve God's grace. Each and every one of us have made a mess of our lives because of sin. All right, so if it's not cheer, well, you can boo and hiss. It's like, oh, man. That old brother, like, really, what was he thinking? Like, that's just wrong. That's wrong. You shouldn't be that way. Shake your finger at him. But if we condemn him, our hearts are revealed again. We have the same self-righteous and judgment attitude that he had. Because again, he was looking at his little brother saying, he made a mess, forget it. No, none. But if we have that attitude towards the older brother, no, we're just as guilty. So really, it should bring us to tears. Next part. We should want him to come inside too, just like the father did. If we don't have that attitude, we don't share the perspective of the father who rejoices when one is saved. That's the, the, the why of the Savior is because of God's great love. And this morning, we're going to have some, some, take a little bit of practical traction with this because, well, actually, before that, um, you can put up the, the passage here. I want to 
close with kind of two things. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 16, it's over two slides, but anyway, um, I'm going to read, this is from the Passion Translation, and the, that section is titled, Jesus, Our Compassionate King. So then, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent King Priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent King Priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. Now we have come freely, now, oh, so now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I just really like the way that those few verses read from the Passion Translation. And again, this morning we're going to give some opportunities for some practical wheels, so to speak, to be put on what we've been talking about, because not only is it the recognition for us of needing a Savior, but also that we have the opportunity to be a light to others. There's neighbors on the street. There's people that you work with. There's people in whatever other avenue of exposure that we have the opportunity, we have a relationship with, you have the opportunity to build and grow in a relationship with. God's wired this church, God's wired me, God's wired Pastor Dan, so many of us through and through. Like I, I tend to say I'm, I'm 110% relational. And it, to me, it's through the context of relationship that God desires to work. People that know me well, I, I, I've got all kinds of stuff that God's still working on. Not out of any pride, it's, it's me dying to myself to be saying some of those things. But anyway, um, that through relationship, and God's calling us to be his light. So we're going to, um, Pastor Dan's going to come up just a moment, and we'll give the opportunity for you to think and to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about somebody that you can specifically pray for, really, is what it comes down to. Who would God want you to be a little bit more of a light. Be a little bit more intentional in your relationship. Not necessarily pound them with scriptures, but just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What would the Holy Spirit have you to say to that person? Or hear that person say that you can respond in a certain way that's really the Holy Spirit speaking through you, and you might be like inside going, where did that come from? I, huh? Well, it's God. So really having the whole thing under prayer because God wants us to be his light. There are people that are in need. There are people who are hurting and messed up just like you and I are. And we have the opportunity to be that light. To, um, to that, that end, when I was in junior high, I think it was. But anyway, church I was attending did the, almost the exact same thing that we're going to be presenting here in just a moment with these essentially prayer cards. So I put two names on the sheep, Scott and Jamie. Um, both of them were, their brothers, actually, and we were in Boy Scouts together. Scott's my age, James a couple years younger than me. Had names, had a relationship with them, in Scouts together, all that type of stuff. And um, for whatever reason, I can't remember exactly, but anyway, I mentioned to Jamie and I showed him the card. 
but I was praying for him. Wasn't making a, like, you got to get saved or anything like that, but just like saying, hey, this is something our church is doing, and you came to mind, and so I'm just letting you know I'm praying for you. And he's like, oh, okay. Now, um, anyway, I'm, not, I'm older than I would like to admit. So easy, easy, easy. Facebook was not around when I was in <laughs> high school or even college. <laughs> but anyway, um, now that Facebook is such a their thing, I had the opportunity, it was a few years ago, to get reconnected with Jamie. And he said, early on in the you know, messenger talking, everything like that, he said, oh, I, I want to let you know I'm a Christian now. I was like, oh, really? That, that, that's cool. And he you know, went on about a couple of things, and he said, yeah. And I remember the time when you said that you were praying for me and you showed me that card. I had forgotten about it, quite honestly, because it wasn't a big thing for me. You know what I mean? It was just like something that, you know, but when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, wow. And he said, yeah, I, I just want to let you know that, I mean, it took a while for me to, God to get a hold of me, but when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I remembered that you had been praying for me. So I wanted to thank you. I was like, wow, okay. So there's definite power with what you have the opportunity, each and every one of us have the opportunity to be involved with this morning.